Blog Talk Radio. Today we're talking about ankles, feet, and the biomechanics. You're going to love this, okay? So let's look at the structure. Now, um, if you look at the foot as a tripod, you land on the heel or the calcaneus, and then you have the small digit on the fifth metatarsal uh, and the first metatarsal. And this is like a tripod hitting. Now, you've got the tarsals that's underneath the talus. You also have the metatarsal bones. The phalanges are like the fingers of the foot. But when you look at the force loading is going to be landing on the heel. And this is hugely important, particularly when you look at the biomechanics of most shoes. So if you look at the biomechanics of most shoes, you have the heel, which is thicker. Now, this is not how human feet are working. So when you're looking at landing, it's called a heel strike in the first part of gait. If you have a thicker pad here, you're going to be able to land on your heel harder than you normally would because that pad. So that totally changes the biomechanics of a normal foot. So the majority of people are using shoes like this. Now, I happen to love these shoes that have absolutely no arch support, no heel strike. But what this does, this completely changes your biomechanics of how you walk because the foot is going to be rolling. So when you're walking, you're not just landing on the calcaneus. The calcaneus is part of the, it's called the heel strike. And then your foot rolls to absorb that shock of general walking. Now, the most common subluxations, one of the most common is jumping, okay, and landing on that calcaneus wrong. Now, it involves a hard pack. Now, the most common subluxation of the calcaneus is driving it inferior to superior. That's from the bottom up. Because this combination of altered gait with a jumping injury causes increased heel strike, and eventually, if the gait isn't corrected, it'll cause calcaneal subluxations. Now, this joint is under such extreme force loading that a significant amount of thrust is needed to adjust it properly. Now, this is demonstrating the calcaneus adjustment. But remember, like if you're talking a 100-pound person stepping off of a curb, and that curb is only, say, eight inches high, that's one to 200 pounds of force. And if they're carrying groceries or lumber or any kind of package, a 200-pound person, that's even exponentially more. So there's a huge amount of force loading on this. So to gap that joint requires an incredible force load to distract it. You only got to distract it a little bit. Now, when you look at the range of motion of a normal, um, any joint, active, passive, and paraphysiologic. Uh, we talk about chiropractors live in that paraphysiologic. And what does that mean? Active range of motion is as far as you can use it. Passive is even further than that. Paraphysiologic, where the adjustments occur, is beyond that. But you're only there for a fraction of a second. Now, you're going to be distracting the joint with a significant impulse, and you do not want to bend that foot one way or the other. It's got to be a straight axial traction. Now, if you have ligamentous damage, damage to the knee, damage to the hip, if you have um, a knee replacement, hip replacement, but this can also disrupt the pelvis. So you have to assess everything. If that pelvis is unstable, you can't do this adjustment. If there's any issue with the hip, you cannot do this adjustment. If there's any issue with the knee, you cannot do this adjustment. So you have to look at the entire structure, not just the foot. 
there's other alternatives that you can do if you do have a knee replacement, a hip replacement that doesn't involve that force loading that utilizes such things as a drop table or an activator. Uh, this is just the standard adjustment for the standard normal person once you've assessed for problems with the hip, the knee, and the pelvis. And you'll see there's two distractive forces. One, you just plant or flex or point the foot down to the floor, and you don't want that foot bent one way or the other. So the calcaneus becomes more prominent, and you're literally just hooking your fingers on that calcaneus where very little pressure is applied on the top of the foot. You distract it, and then it's a slight impulse, but it's a significant impulse. But again, you've got to make sure that your chiropractor is looking at every contraindication there. Now, let's look at the talus. The talus is the most commonly injured bone of the, or subluxated bone of the foot. And if you look at this, you've got the small bone on the side of the foot um, called the fibula. You've got the large bone on the inside called the tibia. And it's like a U-joint where that talus functions on the inside. Now, now that, if that talus goes forward, and typically it's going to be forward on the lateral side or anterior on the lateral side, that is what happens in the most common sprain. Now, when we look at this, uh, the talus is the most commonly subluxated bone of the foot, and it recurs as a twisting or an inversion injury. The talus subluxates anterior and laterally, and if your patient experiences a twisting injury, you can correct the talus subluxation. In fact, you have to correct the talus um, malposition or subluxation. Otherwise, the joint can never heal or function properly until it's been corrected. If there's been an injury to the anterior telefibular ligament, again, this is the most commonly sprained ligament in the foot, you will need to adjust the talus. And inversion sprains are, are horrific and super, super common. Now, you can see that U-joint of the fibula and tibia coming out, and that talus functions j just, it, it's like a pivot. It does most of the dorsiflexion or lifting and plantar flexion of the foot occurs at that joint, but an inversion, that anterior talofibular um, um, ligament is the most common sprain. And you can see, but also look at all the ligaments that attach that fibular head. So every time when you get that huge inversion sprain, if you see a significant amount of bru bruising, suspect fracture. There can be avulsion fractures of that, that fibula, the distal fibula. Because remember, the fibula is only for muscle attachments. It's not really a weight-bearing uh, bone. But it, if you have an inversion sprain, that ligament can actually avulse that, that um, fibula. And that is a completely different world. You cannot adjust the talus if that fibula has been fractured. Uh, and say it with me, duh. <laughs> no, multiple grades of fracture or, or sprain. You know, grade one means that some of the fibers are damaged. Grade two means there's a partial tear. Grade three, there is a complete tear. Now, um, working on thousands of ankle injuries, uh, and, and I could say uh, several dozen of those were from my two sons into skateboarding and rollerblading and paintballing. Okay, so, you know, thank goodness I am uh, 
a, a dad who had his own x-ray machine. <laughs> I was checking every time if when they got a sprain strain to make sure that there wasn't an avulsion fracture of that fibula. Now, immediately after a sprain, you'll need to apply ice. And this is because ice will slow the flow of blood and decrease some of the swelling. Because just think of the intelligence of the body. When you have a sprain, bam, instantly that area swells. And it's almost like your body is forming something to limit the range of motion so you don't further damage it. But knowing that you're an intelligent person, um, that you put ice on there, it'll decrease the swelling. And also, decreasing the swelling will allow you to fix some of the structures. Now, after the first 24 hours, it's best to um, use the RICE treatment protocol. And this is ideally rest, ice, compression, and elevation. In fact, for any injury, it's important to assess radiographically. You've got to x-ray it first because it is super, super common to see an avulsion fracture of that fibula and has a result in the inversion sprain. And so rice, rest, at least the first 48 hours, ice, 20 minutes a time, 48 times a day, and listen to the doctor within. That's going to be the best doctor. Remember, ice go through, goes through four stages, cold, achy, burning, then numb. When you hit the numb stage, beautiful, you finish that first round. Compression, which will help decrease some of that swelling, and then elevation. And and this is virtually in every sprain. But make sure you get an x-ray to make sure that that has not been fractured. If you've identified any fracture, this is a major contraindication of talus adjustment. Then, but just think of it. That fracture, and this is with all the bones in the body, four to six weeks later, it's brand new. But you got to make sure that that fractured segment, um, whether it's hairline or a complete fracture, has been in alignment. This is why you've got to get the x-ray first to make sure you either refer that patient to an orthopedist or it's going to be stable and you're going to be hunky-dory um, to adjust it or if there's no fracture. If there's no fracture present, present, it's simply an inversion sprain. You'll use ice intermittently to shrink the swelling the first day, but you do not need to wait for the swelling to shrink to adjust it. It will make it easier and more comfortable for your patient. And and that's the key. So when you're looking at, at adjusting this, um, you have to um, get that talus in place. Otherwise, the inversion sprain will not heal. That Just think of that U-joint. You've got the fibula and the tibia. If that talus has gone forward and lateral, like the or anterior and lateral, the way it always does on an inversion sprain, you have to set it down. Now, there's a couple of ways to do that. Uh, one, if you contact that talus and it's incredibly painful and uncomfortable, you're probably on the sprain anterior talofibular ligament. So move your, your adjusting contact a little bit more medial. Now, if it's an acute sprain, you can use this the alternative talus adjustment where you're going to use a drop table, you can also use an activator, but you have got to reposition that talus so that the tissues can heal. Just as long as you're slightly medial to that anterior talofibrillar ligament, you should be able to perform this with minimal discomfort, even on acute injuries. 
Uh, and I can't express it enough that you have got to take the x-ray to make sure there's no fracture. Okay. And, and also know that hairline fractures, you've got a covering of the bone called periosteum. And sometimes acute hairline fractures don't show for the first 24 to 48 hours uh, because of that swelling of the periosteum. It's similar to what you would have if you have a bone bruise. You know, a lot of people have experienced that. If the patient is experiencing extreme discomfort, your contact may be a little bit lateral. Now, by assessing and adjusting the talus, even at the most acute stages, you'll know healing will occur rapidly. And this is why I always patients say, well, how long should you wait before you get that talus adjusted? No, adjust it immediately. If it's, if it had, once you have assessed that there's no um, other structural damage other than that talus subluxation, then you can use the activator drop table technique. There's a lot of different techniques, but you have got to set that talus back in place. Otherwise, you've got altered biomechanics and it will not occur. It's important that that subluxated talus, even recent ankle, ankle injuries, because that talar subluxation can be asymptomatic in people who have had old inversion sprain sprains. Now, I've assessed people in their 60s and 70s that twisted their ankle back in high school, and they've always had foot problems, which always equates to knee and pelvic issues as well. They'll, they'll, commonly, they'll say, oh, I have weak ankles. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't have weak ankles. And in fact, um, back in, in the old days before I was a chiropractor, I went to my chiropractor and I told him I had weak ankles. And he said, come on, Bergman, you know, my ankles look like tree stumps. And, and it turned out that I had a chronic talus subluxation from when I was a kid rock climbing. Okay, so um, those talus subluxations, and this is why you've got to assess everybody, even if they haven't had an acute injury, assess them for talus because those inversion sprains happen all the time. Bike injuries, walking, twisting, hitting a rock, everything. So when you're assessing and correcting calcaneal and talar issues, uh, make sure you do a good radiographic examination, but you have got to look at everything. You can't be pulling on the foot if there's a sprain to the knee, a hip, or unstable pelvis. So this is why you've got to look at even the nerves that supply that foot, and they come out of the pelvis and lumbar area. So you've got to look at the nerve supply. You've got to look at regular exercise. Once you get that in place, you can do gas pedaling exercises. You can do very, very simple um, stretches to get those structures back to functioning correctly. But regular exercise is the key for joints. Every joint in your body is hydraulic. This is also why proper nutrition, if man makes it, you don't eat it. You know, you've got to have the raw materials to regenerate the body, and then sufficient rest. What do you say? Rest, ice, compression, and elevation. But sufficient rest, I'm talking at nighttime. This is when your body regenerates. And then prayer and meditation, hugely important. Every study ever that involves prayer shows faster healing. So why not utilize it? If you don't have a belief in God yet, <laughs> you will eventually, I hope. <laughs> God, God bless you all. Now, now make sure, make sure you post your questions below this. And I'm going to do 
um, a video response in a week to as many of them as we can. And we're going to be answering the questions in two, one, social media, and they're going to be available on our site. God bless you all. Uh, stay healthy, my friends. Today, we're talking about ankles, feet, and the biomechanics. You're going to love this, okay? So let's look at the structure. Now, um, if you look at the foot as a tripod, you land on the heel or the calcaneus, and then you have the small digit on the fifth metatarsal uh, and the first metatarsal. And this is like a tripod hitting. Now, you've got the tarsals that's underneath the talus. You also have the metatarsal bones. The phalanges are like the fingers of the foot. But when you look at the force loading is going to be landing on the heel. And this is hugely important, particularly when you look at the biomechanics of most shoes. So if you look at the biomechanics of most shoes, you have the heel, which is thicker. Now, this is not how human feet are working. So when you're looking at landing, it's called a heel strike in the first part of gate. If you have a thicker pad here, you're going to be able to land on your heel harder than you normally would because that pad. So that totally changes the biomechanics of a normal foot. So the majority of people are using shoes like this. Now, I happen to love these shoes that have absolutely no arch support, no heel strike. But what this does, this completely changes your biomechanics of how you walk because the foot is going to be rolling. So when you're walking, you're not just landing on the calcaneus. The calcaneus is part of the, it's called the heel strike. And then your foot rolls to absorb that shock of general walking. Now, the most common subluxations, one of the most common is jumping, okay, and landing on that calcaneus wrong. Now, it involves a hard pack. Now, the most common subluxation of the calcaneus is driving it inferior to superior. That's from the bottom up. Because this combination of altered gait with a jumping injury causes increased heel strike, and eventually, if the gait isn't corrected, it'll cause calcaneal subluxations. Now, this joint is under such extreme force loading that a significant amount of thrust is needed to adjust it properly. Now, this is demonstrating the calcaneus adjustment. But remember, like if you're talking a 100-pound person stepping off of a curb, and that curb is only, say, eight inches high, that's one to 200 pounds of force. And if they're carrying groceries or lumber or any kind of package, a 200-pound person, that's even exponentially more. So there's a huge amount of force loading on this. So to gap that joint requires an incredible force load to distract it. You only got to distract it a little bit. Now, when you look at the range of motion of a normal, um, at any joint, active, passive, and paraphysiologic, uh, we talk about chiropractors live in that paraphysiologic. And what does that mean? Active range of motion is as far as you can use it. Passive is even further than that. Paraphysiologic, where the adjustments occur, is beyond that. But you're only there for a fraction of a second. Now, you're going to be distracting the joint with a significant impulse, and you do not want to bend that foot one way or the other. It's got to be a straight axial traction. Now, if you have ligamentous damage, damage to the knee, damage to the hip, if you have um, a knee replacement, hip replacement, but this can also disrupt the pelvis. So you have to assess everything. 
If that pelvis is unstable, you can't do this adjustment. If there's any issue with the hip, you cannot do this adjustment. If there's any issue with the knee, you cannot do this adjustment. So you have to look at the entire structure, not just the foot. There's other alternatives that you can do if you do have a knee replacement, a hip replacement that doesn't involve that force loading that utilizes such things as a drop table or an activator. Uh, this is just the standard adjustment for the standard normal person once you've assessed for problems with the hip, the knee, and the pelvis. And you'll see there's two distractive forces. One, you just plant or flex or point the foot down to the floor, and you don't want that foot bent one way or the other. So the calcaneus becomes more prominent, and you're literally just hooking your fingers on that calcaneus where very little pressure is applied on the top of the foot. You distract it, and then it's a slight impulse, but it's a significant impulse. But again, you've got to make sure that your chiropractor is looking at every contraindication there. Now, let's look at the talus. The talus is the most commonly injured bone of the, or subluxated bone of the foot. And if you look at this, you've got the small bone on the side of the foot um, called the fibula. You've got the large bone on the inside called the tibia. And it's like a U-joint where that talus functions on the inside. Now, now that, if that talus goes forward, and typically it's going to be forward on the lateral side or anterior on the lateral side, that is what happens in the most common sprain. Now, when we look at this, uh, the talus is the most commonly subluxated bone of the foot, and it recurs as a twisting or an inversion injury. The talus subluxates anterior and laterally, and if your patient experiences a twisting injury, you can correct the talus subluxation. In fact, you have to correct the talus um, malposition or subluxation Otherwise, the joint can never heal or function properly until it's been corrected. If there's been an injury to the anterior telefibular ligament, again, this is the most commonly sprained ligament in the foot, you will need to adjust the talus. And inversion sprains are, are horrific and super, super common. Now, you can see that U-joint of the fibula and tibia coming out, and that talus functions just, it, it's like a pivot. It does most of the dorsiflexion or lifting and plantar flexion of the foot occurs at that joint, but an inversion, that anterior talofibular um, um, ligament is the most common sprain. And you can see, but also look at all the ligaments that attach that fibular head. Uh, so every time when you get that huge inversion sprain, if you see a significant amount of bru bruising, suspect fracture. There can be avulsion fractures of that, that fibula, the distal fibula. Because remember, the fibula is only for muscle attachments. It's not really a weight-bearing uh, bone. But it, if you have an inversion sprain, that ligament can actually avulse that, that um, fibula. And that is a completely different world. You cannot adjust the talus if that fibula has been fractured. Uh, and say it with me, duh. <laughs> no, multiple grades of fracture or, or sprain. You know, grade one means that some of the fibers are damaged. Grade two means there's a partial tear. Grade three, there is a complete tear. Now, 
um, working on thousands of ankle injuries. Uh, and, and I could say, uh, several dozen of those were from my two sons into skateboarding and rollerblading and paintballing. Okay. So, you know, thank goodness I am, uh, uh, a dad who had his own x-ray machine. <laughs> I was checking every time if, when they got a sprain strain to make sure that there wasn't an avulsion fracture of that fibula. Now, immediately after a sprain, you'll need to apply ice. And this is because ice will slow the flow of blood and decrease some of the swelling. Because just think of the intelligence of the body. When you have a sprain, bam, instantly that area swells. And it's almost like your body is forming something to limit the range of motion so you don't further damage it. But knowing that you're an intelligent person, um, that you put ice on there, it'll decrease the swelling. And also, with decreasing the swelling will allow you to fix some of the structures. Now, after the first 24 hours, it's best to um, use the RICE treatment protocol. And this is ideally rest, ice, compression, and elevation. In fact, for any injury, it's important to assess radiographically. You've got to x-ray it first because it is super, super common to see an avulsion fracture of that fibula and has a result in an inversion sprain. And so rice, rest, at least the first 48 hours, ice, 20 minutes a time, 48 times a day, and listen to the doctor within. That's going to be the best doctor. Remember, ice go through, goes through four stages, cold, achy, burning, then numb. When you hit the numb stage, beautiful, you finish that first round. Compression, which will help decrease some of that swelling, and then elevation. And, and this is virtually in every sprain, but make sure you get an x-ray to make sure that that has not been fractured. If you've identified any fracture, this is a major contraindication to talus adjustment. Then, but just think of it, that fracture, and this is with all the bones in the body, four to six weeks later, it's brand new, but you got to make sure that that fractured segment, um, whether it's hairline or a complete fracture, has been in alignment. This is why you've got to get the x-ray first to make sure you either refer that patient to an orthopedist or it's going to be stable and you're going to be hunky-dory um, to adjust it or if there's no fracture. If there's no fracture present, present, it's simply an inversion sprain. You'll use ice intermittently to shrink the swelling the first day, but you do not need to wait for the swelling to shrink to adjust it. It will make it easier and more comfortable for your patient. And, and that's the key. So when you're looking at, at adjusting this, um, you have to um, get that talus in place. Otherwise, the inversion sprain will not heal. That Just think of that U-joint. You've got the fibula and the tibia. If that talus has gone forward and lateral, like the, or anterior and lateral, the way it always does on an inversion sprain, you have to set it down. Now, there's a couple of ways to do that. Uh, one, if you contact that talus and it's incredibly painful and uncomfortable, you're probably on the sprain anterior talofibular ligament. So move your, your adjusting contact a little bit more medial. Now, if it's an acute sprain, you can use this, the alternative talus adjustment where you're going to use a drop table. You can also use an activator. 
but you have got to reposition that talus so that the tissues can heal. Just as long as you're slightly medial to that anterior talofibrillar ligament, you should be able to perform this with minimal discomfort, even on acute injuries. Uh, and I can't express it enough that you have got to take the x-ray to make sure there's no fracture. Okay, and, and also know that hairline fractures, you've got a covering of the bone called periosteum. And sometimes acute hairline fractures don't show for the first 24 to 48 hours uh, because of that swelling of the periosteum. It's similar to what you would have if you have a bone bruise. You know, a lot of people have experienced that. If the patient is experiencing extreme discomfort, your contact may be a little bit lateral. Now, by assessing and adjusting the talus, even at the most acute stages, you'll know healing will occur rapidly. And this is why I always patients say, well, how long should you wait before you get that talus adjusted? No, adjust it immediately. If it's, if it, once you have assessed that there's no um, other structural damage other than that talus subluxation, then you can use the activator drop table technique. There's a lot of different techniques, but you have got to set that talus back in place. Otherwise, you've got altered biomechanics and it will not occur. It's important that that subluxated talus, even recent ankle, ankle injuries, because that talar subluxation can be asymptomatic in people who have had old inversion sprain sprains. Now, I've assessed people in their 60s and 70s that twisted their ankle back in high school, and they've always had foot problems, which always equates to knee and pelvic issues as well. They'll, they'll, commonly, they'll say, oh, I have weak ankles. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't have weak ankles. And in fact, um, back in, in the old days before I was a chiropractor, I went to my chiropractor and I told him I had weak ankles. And he said, come on, Bergman, you know, my ankles look like tree stumps. And, and it turned out that I had a chronic talus subluxation from when I was a kid rock climbing. Okay, so um, those talus subluxations, and this is why you've got to assess everybody, even if they haven't had an acute injury, assess them for talus because those inversion sprains happen all the time. Bike injuries, walking, twisting, hitting a rock, everything. So when you're assessing and correcting calcaneal and talar issues, um, make sure you do a good radiographic examination, but you have got to look at everything. You can't be pulling on the foot if there's a sprain to the knee, a hip, or unstable pelvis. So this is why you've got to look at even the nerves that supply that foot, and they come out of the pelvis and lumbar area. So you've got to look at the nerve supply. You've got to look at regular exercise. Once you get that in place, you can do gas pedaling exercises. You can do very, very simple um, stretches to get those structures back to functioning correctly. But regular exercise is the key for joints. Every joint in your body is hydraulic. This is also why proper nutrition, if man makes it, you don't eat it. You know, you've got to have the raw materials to regenerate the body, and then sufficient rest. What do you say? Rest, ice, compression, and elevation. But sufficient rest, I'm talking at nighttime. This is when your body regenerates. And then prayer and meditation, hugely important. Every study ever that involves prayer shows faster healing. 
So why not utilize it? If you don't have a belief in God yet, <laughs> you will eventually, I hope. <laughs> God, God bless you all. Now, now make sure, make sure you post your questions below this. And I'm going to do um, a video response in a week to as many of them as we can. And we're going to be answering the questions in two, one, social media, and they're going to be available on our site. God bless you all. Uh, stay healthy, my friends. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.